Well, when I gave you that little introduction, I didn't exactly have that in mind, but um, uh, that just goes to show you that the Lord we serve has a, a great sense of humor and um, sort of knew what we were going to talk about over the next several weeks. Um, because, you know, the Psalms, the Psalms aren't about perfection. They're about a very, a very real very flawed um, people reaching out to God. And um, so what a coincidence tonight. It's actually kind of funny uh, that, uh, that this, would, this would happen this way. But um, we're going we're gonna to keep going in this direction. So what I'm going to ask you to do again, we're gonna do, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, it's probably harder for me than for you. But, um, so what I want you to do is just sit and relax. A lot of us just came in from work, been busy all day. Um, just, just sit for just a moment. And in lieu of an opening prayer, what I'm going to do is something that some of you may be familiar with, but um, it certainly comes out of my old church tradition. I'm going to uh, actually chant Psalm 23. It's in your handout. And so all you need to do is just sit back, relax. If you want to close your eyes, that's great. Just Listen to the words, and at the very end, we're going to, we're going to chant all together, Amen, you know, when I get to the, to the end, so I'll sort of give you the, the signal for that, okay? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the words in this psalm. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your, your generosity, your grace, and your love. Lord, in this tonight and over the next two weeks, I pray that um, we would get a taste of that. Uh, perhaps a renewed taste, perhaps a taste for the first time of your love, your graciousness, that you are a loving God. You are a real God, 
not distant off in some far off place, but very real in a daily sense. So Lord, come and be with us tonight over the next two weeks and just bless our time together here. Amen. So other than the comments I made at the outset there, you might be asking, well, you know, um, you know why did we do that? You know, it's a psalm. Why did you decide to chant it? Well, there's a, there's a statement uh, from C.S. Lewis that um, I want to share with you. It's in your handout. Well, it's also here. And this is what Lewis says. He said, the Psalms are poems and poems that are intended to be sung, not doctrinal treatises. This is, you know, Lewis talking. Not even sermons. They must be read as poems if they are to be understood. Otherwise, we shall miss what is in them and think we see what is not. And what Lewis is referring to here is not that we won't get the words, but very often, if we're just reading the words when we go to the Psalms, we're, we're missing the emotional content. We're missing the sense of what the psalmist, the person who wrote it, and those that that person is representing, what, what was going on? What caused this person to reach out in this very unique way to God and say the things that, that you know, one is saying or we're reading in the Psalms? And that's what Lewis is talking about. And that, more than anything else, is going to be the focus of what we're going to try to do here over the next three weeks, and that is to, to stop looking at the words necessarily and just what does this mean and you know, what, what does that word mean and really just step back and say, What's going on here? What, what are, what's being communicated? What's happening in the heart of this person? What's happening in their lives? So that we can learn to use the Psalms in the same way. So often, um, you know, it's interesting. It's, uh, the book of Psalms obviously is in the, uh, in the Old Testament. And a lot of times I think people think, you know, because it's back there on that other old part, it's kind of cryptic or, you know, somehow it's, it's difficult to understand. And um, as I was saying, I think the Psalms are less about intellectualism and way more about emotionalism. So, it, you know, again, setting the stage to talk about that. Now, you know, in our church, if you've heard Pastor Terry do this, and we all now, those of us who are on the teaching team, we refer to it this way. We, you hear us call it the Older Testament. And in our church, that's a real intentional statement that we make. And part of it is that in our culture today, the word old carries some pretty negative connotations. And if you hear the word Old Testament, particularly if you've never read the Bible or been exposed to the Bible, you just go, well, that's some old stuff that probably doesn't matter. And when was Jesus born? And then the New Testament is after Jesus, so that must be. And it's true that there is much to be gleaned in the New Testament. But the Old Testament of the Bible is, is rich um, if we just take the time and the energy to go there. So I don't know, um, you know how I got started on this. But um, probably about a year ago, I just got this passion to, to start you know, exploring the, the Old Testament, the Older Testament. So the last study that I did several months ago was um, on the, uh, out of the book of 1 Kings on the life of Elijah, taken from the, from the Older Testament, and of course Psalms here. So that's kind of where this is all coming from. I've been 
sort of living out of my passion to, to try to bring the, the Older Testament and some of the books and stories there uh, to people. Um, so now, over the next three weeks, uh, we're, going to be, we're going to be looking at, at several things, but tonight, here's what we're going to do. We want to talk about, we're going to spend the entire evening talking about the Psalms in general. So the first thing we're going to cover is the overall nature and purpose of the Psalms, tell you a little bit about who wrote them, the authors. Uh, there are some structures to the Psalms, the way that they, uh, they're laid out. And then there are a number of different kinds of Psalms. So, you know, there's 150 of them. And if you just go and, and say, gee, you know, where do I start? What do I look for? Particularly if you're looking to engage the Psalms emotionally, it can be somewhat overwhelming. That's a lot, you know, it's a pretty long book. It's a lot of, a lot of writing in there. So one of the things we hope to do is to give you a couple of tools to, uh, to uh, help you look at that. Now, in that spirit of what C.S. Lewis was talking about, um, emphasizing the poetic nature of the Psalms, you could say that the Psalms are Christianity's greatest hits. Okay? They've, they've lasted through the ages. They were written millennia ago, and they're a collection of songs and prayers and poetry that express the deepest passions of humanity. And you will see as we go to Psalm 32, and as you hear about what the background of that psalm was, that particular psalm was written by David, you'll see the passion in there. You'll, you'll, you just feel what he was feeling when he wrote that psalm. And part of it is, is knowing the backstory, but um, there's just this great expression of, of passion. Now, one of the authors that I really um, like is, is a, a man named Thomas Merton, who's gone on to be with the Lord. He was a Trappist monk, and he wrote uh, extensively on prayer and meditation. And he said this about the psalms. The psalms are the songs of men and women who knew who God was. Okay? Who knew who God was. And he goes on to say that if we're to pray well, and that doesn't mean like good or with you know, a certain word count in there, but really effectively in a sense that we feel refreshed and replenished by our prayer, that um, it's essential that we discover and get to know the Lord to whom we're praying. And that's really important. Because some of us have come out of a lot of different kinds of traditions, or perhaps no church tradition, and we've heard about this God, or we have some idea of this kind of vengeful, really hardcore God. A God who hates certain kinds of people, or hates certain things, or you know is going to punish people when they do things wrong. And part of, part of getting to get into the Psalms is realizing that that's not the God that is described therein. And it's not like the you know, man's story is whitewashed in the Psalms. There is some pretty, pretty amazing stuff going on, and yet throughout that we see this incredible outpouring of forgiveness and love and grace attributed to God in the Psalms. So, again, one of the, one of the ways that we that we best get a revelation of who God is, is through the book of Psalms. Because we will see the psalmists writing again and again, reflecting on God's nature. And that sort of repetitive reading of it for us a lot of times is, helps us when we get into a difficult situation. And um, 
Okay. So, in doing that, one of the things that happens is um, we also get to see ourselves as we truly are. And one of the things that we see in the Psalms is that people come unadorned before God. And we'll definitely see, you know, how David came when he wrote Psalm 32. He was not in, you know, a very good place. And one of the things that the Psalms do is they open that pathway for us, or at least they point us in that direction. Because how often do we get in a situation where we figure, you know, God, if I'm going to approach God, I need to... I need to get something in order here, or I'm struggling with something right now. I, I, better, I better get in a, be, a good place before I go and approach God about it. And a lot of us, we just subconsciously do that. And the beauty of the Psalms, again, is that they show us that, that that's not an essential. In fact, probably it's, it's, it's a hindrance. Because what it does is it keeps us from entering into a, a fellowship with God. Okay? Any questions? about what I just said. By the way, feel free. The whole purpose for me sitting down here on the floor is that I can actually see you. And so if you have questions, uh, you know, just, just throw them out there. We're not going to have like a stop for questions time. I like to play off whatever questions you have. So if anything comes up that you want to ask about, please just raise your hand because I can see you, even those of you who are somewhat shadowy back there. But uh, I got you. Okay. Is that in order? Okay. Oh, okay, I know what I have. Hold on just a moment. Okay. In your handout, I just gave you a, a couple of things. We won't spend a lot of time on that, but uh, there were actually, there's a general perception that the Psalms were, were written by David, King David, in times of antiquity. But in fact, though he, he wrote a number of the Psalms, he was certainly not the only author. So in your handout there, you see that we, had, um, we have David in there. Some of the earliest Psalms are actually attributed to Moses, who predated David by quite a long time. Uh, there were uh, a number of, of uh, people who were uh, worship leaders in Jerusalem at the time of David, who also were allowed to write and contribute some Psalms. Uh, there were, um, and their, their names are there, Ethan, Haman, and Asaph. Uh, Solomon, David's son, wrote some, and others were written uh, by a family of priests over several centuries, and, uh, and women too, Deborah and Hannah, and I've given you the, the citations if you want to go there and, and look up who those women were. But, so there were a number of contributors to the song, not just... Psalms, not just King David, and they were written over a period of about a thousand years. Now, why is it important that it was over a thousand years? Well, just so you get the idea that it wasn't one person suffering or living through his or her life, and then the Psalms are just limited to just kind of the, you know, the life lens of one individual. When we talk about a thousand years and multiple authors, we're really talking about a document, a book, writings that express a, a huge variety of life, a wide, wide variety of life for over a thousand years. So that's, that's one of the beauties of, uh, of the Psalms. Okay, 
structure. Now we're, we're actually going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the type and we're also going to talk about the, the structure. So the, the Psalms are actually arranged in five books. Um, broken down, not, not really according to theme, but by, by author. So basically from Psalm 1 to 72, they were primarily written by David. So, you know, why do I tell you this? Well, if you were interested in reading a psalm that was most likely written by David, then you'd probably want to go to look at Psalms 1 through 72. And uh, many of those reflect, if you have a study Bible, you can look in there and they will tell you what the historical context for a particular psalm was, as a for instance. And, and so you'll see much of the life of David played out in the first 72 psalms in terms of... A, you know, what he wrote, what he was writing about, and what he encountered. The third book uh, was written primarily by Asaph and his fellow worship leaders and the sons of Korah, who were this priestly family, and that's books 73 through 89. So they will have a slightly different tone. And because it is poetry, and we're not going to get into that, there, you know, you can certainly go and read if you really want to get into the Psalms. You can read about the poetic style that the Hebrew poetic style that was utilized that we see in the Psalms. Again, we're not going to go there since this isn't a, a class about the Psalms in that regard. But suffice to say that each book with its different authors will have a slightly different flavor. And they'll be slightly different. Um, they'll all have the same kinds of themes, which we'll see in a few minutes, but uh, they will be slightly different. And then Psalms 90 through 150 uh, are mostly anonymous, though they, they can be attributed even in that anonymity to the people that I mentioned, but there was no one specific person that was known to be the author of, of virtually all of the Psalms in that, in that range. So those are the five books of, uh, within the Psalms. No, not really, not really. And uh, Mr. Scholar over there, what what would you say is the uh, how they made the distinction? Do you know? Yeah. I I I sort of did some research on that. I didn't see anything that was real clear as to how they knew that specifically it was this number. But uh, in so far as the style, no. The styles will be grouped according to one and two, three, and then four and five. They'll be fairly similar in tone. And you'll see that in the, in the Psalms. Okay. Other questions? Good question. Okay. Now, um, part of the way, it doesn't explain why they broke them down that way, but part of the way that we can identify that a book is, is terminating is each of the... Um, each of the books ends with what is called a doxology. And that's some final verses of praise to God. And so generally the last verse or two of the last, of the last psalm in a book will, will have a doxology, will be a doxology. So here's an example, is Psalm 41.13. This is the last verse of Psalm 41. Um, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. 
And uh, this is kind of a funny story. My daughter right now, my younger daughter, some of you know my younger daughter, Shauna. Shauna's lately, like over the last several months, she's been in this habit of doing double amens. And it was kind of, you know, it's kind of funny. We just, I, I don't know where she picked it up from, but she'll, you know, say grace before me. I'll just say amen and amen. And um, I hadn't even thought about it, but when I went to start to study this, I found that the, the double amens are, are part of a bunch of the doxologies, actually. So it really struck me as uh, interesting how she happened to pick that up. But they end amen and amen, which is kind of like so be it and really so be it. You know? uh, Psalm 89.52, the end of another book. Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. The double amen. Psalm 150, interestingly enough, that entire psalm, if you, if you want to look it up, is the entire psalm is a doxology. It's essentially a psalm of praise to God on, on this kind of a level. Now we'll look at different praise psalms a little bit later. This doxology, Psalm 150, is somewhat different in that it's kind of a higher tone you know, God on high, giving praise to the God on high. Most of the praise psalms are, are praise coming out of people's situation, praising God or saying, you know, I'll still praise you, Lord, or praise you for this or that. The doxology is a, if you will, a higher level praise, kind of to rec recognizing the God on high. Okay? Questions on that? Anybody? We looking good? Okay. Types of psalms. Now, if you go to study the Psalms, if you get a study Bible or you get a book on the Psalms or something like that, you know, you'll see a lot of different categories. So this is kind of a, a if you will, a helpful compilation of some basic types. You know, different places you go. In fact, when I was doing studying, there were three or four different groupings and there were some overlaps. So I just decided to compile them into some general general types for purposes of, of presenting them here, but you might see them organized somewhat differently or with, with different descriptions, but these are some basic types that, uh, that would be helpful. The first are royal kingdom psalms, and those are general themes about God as king, ruler over all, and about Zion, and Zion in this case signifies you know, the city or kingdom of God, the physical city or kingdom of God. So we have these royal and kingdom psalms that, that we see. And uh, again, a lot of times in a study Bible or if you picked up a book about the psalms, they'll tell you specifically what kind of a psalm that particular one is. When you, even just looking at these little descriptions I'm going to give you though, you can probably pick up on looking at one, you know, what, what it is. And, and you'll see as we go along here what, what we're talking about. So the example we have here is Psalm 2, 1 through 6. And it's also there in your handouts. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold him in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and, dis and distress them with his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. 
So this is again, you know, it's not just talking about the royal, all-powerful God residing in his kingdom. It's set in a context. So the context here is there's some people that are, what, basically laughing at God, turning their, their noses at him. You know, who's this God you believe in, you know? And, and the psalmist writing to say, no, you got it wrong. You know, this, this God is way more powerful and impactful than you could ever imagine. And, and you see, that, you see the, the play there? So the first part of the psalm describes for us what the psalmist is observing. Now, who is to say what the, what the particular situation or persecution was at that that one was enduring, but I bet a lot of us, if we thought about it, we may have had some people just question our faith. You know, why do you go to church? How can you believe in God? How can you believe in a God when all of this is going on in the world? Or how can you, as a person of faith, support these things that these people who call themselves Christians are doing? About the Crusades, or what about this, or what about that, right? A lot of us have encountered people that pretty much throw our faith in our face. So perhaps this here in Psalm 2, that's what the psalmist has encountered. Some people basically just saying, that's just bogus. Psalm, you know, God's stuff is for weak people. You know, people who can't get on with life. And the psalmist comes back with a response, no, I know who my God is. And God looks at that kind of derision and just laughs. Okay. See, the, see the feeling there? The emotion? It isn't just some intellectual sort of, oh, God's great, he's up there. But it comes in response to something. And this is the way the Psalms are used and to be used. It's not, you know, again, what were to happen if someone were to come to us? I mean, I, I was talking with somebody recently that... Uh, uh, you know, recently, recently came to our church and came to, to faith that was of another, another faith in the past and, and had really terrible time with, um, you know, family. And it was a really difficult period. And this is the kind of situation that the psalmist is describing. Where do we turn when we just feel like, you know, how much, in, let, me, let me put it this way to you, how much intellectual verbiage do you think is going to help a person who's feeling rejected by their family because they, they have come to faith? You know, words probably, you know, some good argument about why it's good to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus. That's, that's really not going to cut it, is it? Is that really going to get to the emotional part of where people are at that point? What do you think? No, it's not. So we have the Psalms as one, at least one guide to explore and to have some sense of where God stands in these kinds of situations. Okay, Royal Kingdom Psalms. Another type are what are called penitential. That's kind of an old word, you know, we don't really use that anymore. Penitential kind of is like penance. Who knows what that means? Come on, anybody? Penance. <laughs> yeah, carries some pretty negative connotations, doesn't it? <laughs> Penitential psalms are, are essentially confessing our sin, our faults, 
our issues with, to God. But they don't just stop there. The great thing about the penitential psalm is it isn't just about laying your stuff out there. It also involves an acceptance of God's forgiveness. And I guess before that, even a recognition that God does forgive. That's huge. That's huge. We actually serve a God who forgives and wants to give, wants to bless us with this forgiveness. And we're going to see this the next couple of weeks in Psalm 32. What activates God's forgiveness? Our acknowledgement of what we've done and who we are and our asking for forgiveness. It's ready to be given, but it's only given if we ask. And we can only ask if we know it's there and are comfortable with asking, right? That's probably the stumbling block for a lot of us. I know it's been in my life. The idea that I can keep going back to God and asking to be forgiven for stuff, particularly stuff that I keep doing, hmm? it, just, it just really doesn't compute in our modern mind, does it? That, that there's a God like that. In fact, many people would say, that's, that's not God. You need to do all of these things and you need to live your faith this kind of a way because that's the only way God's going to forgive you if God sees that you're doing all of this stuff over here. And, you know, the Psalms in particular show us that the God we serve is very different. That doesn't mean that He condones sin. It doesn't mean He condones bad stuff we do or trouble we get into. But he is willing to forgive. And that's, that's great news. That's great news in a world like ours. So penitential psalms. Now, so, there's a confession, there's a recognition of forgiveness, an acceptance of forgiveness, and then what comes with that forgiveness? Restoration. Restoration to a, the kind of relationship God intends to have with us. So all of, these, all of these points we will see in, you would see in any psalm that's called a penitential psalm. And you know, the great news is, and this is the thing I like about them, because I read, I read several in preparing, they're all the same in that they all contain these elements. It's not like, go confess your sin, and then the psalm ends. You know, and you're left kind of, well, what happened? All of the penitential psalms take you through the cycle. There's a confession of something. There's an acceptance, a sort of a picturing of who God is. And then there's a sense of being restored. So there's completeness in all of them. You don't get part of the story. You're not left out there wondering what, what happened. or Is God going to forgive that sin? And that's partly why I picked Psalm 32, because it really illustrates this point. So penitential psalms. Any questions on that? Anyone? Okay, wisdom psalms. Wisdom songs focus on righteous or what we'd say godly living, often by contrasting the righteous and the wicked. And this is a poetic form in, in Hebrew poetry where there's a lot of contrasting. So you will see in what are called wisdom psalms, you'll see good and bad. 
They did this, this is happening. I did this, this went. Okay, you'll see a lot of the contrasting. You know, why are you allowing these people to oppress me? God, where are you while this is happening? Yet still I will believe in you. Or I will wait on your provision. So there's a lot of that sort of give and take. It's, it's very, very interesting. And, you know, also calling attention to God's blessing and curse. They can focus on God's revealed word, which to the, to the Hebrew people of the time was the law that was given to Moses. And we find it in the books of uh, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, in the Older Testament. God's creation and his people. So wisdom psalms are just that. They're really meant to reflect upon God's provision, sufficiency for, um, for all of us and, and position us pre-Jesus to see God truly as, as the Savior of humanity, which Jesus then came and actually embodied and lived out in, in a form that, that we can actually relate to day in and day out. So, Psalm 32, the psalm that we're going to study, is actually both of these in one psalm. It's a short psalm, but it's actually both a penitential psalm, and you'll see aspects of the penitential in it, and in turn it, it, it uh, contains great wisdom about the nature of God and reflection on who God really is. Interestingly enough, wisdom that was only gained after passing through this horrendous fire over here and and then receiving forgiveness and being restored yes I don't know that the Psalms were actually written were they skip what? <laughs> doing homework over there uh, yeah, really. The question was, if during the time of the, you know, Job, when the book of Job was written, were the Psalms actually written and available at that time? Do you know? Um, I don't think so. I thought that they were just an oral tradition, weren't they, for many years? But well, They were written, but I, I think Job, Job predates almost everything. Yeah, it's an old book. Yeah, we can look and see. Let's look at the break. Come, come and see me. We'll take. We'll look that up. That's a good question. Well, the tone of Job is compared to anguish and the crying out. I just kind of wonder if Job influenced the Psalms, or if the Psalms influenced Job, or what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the thing is, we live in a in a post Jesus world. So, as people of faith, we can always reflect to that point. And, and certainly one of the themes that you see throughout the Older Testament is you see people that didn't have that real tangible centering point to the faith. You know, you had some rituals and you had a lot of things and you believed in God, you know, the God of your forefathers, but it wasn't, as, it wasn't tangible in that same kind of a way. So I think that, that you see often, and it, it wouldn't be just in the book of Job. If you look throughout the Older Testament, you'll see a lot of lamentation, a lot of struggling, a lot of like, you know, where am I? Because God wasn't as proximate as, as the way that we experience Him today through, through the work of Jesus and Jesus' life. So that's, that's one big distinction that we see um, at that time. Because it was still anticipated, the coming of the Messiah. 
mm -hmm. like the song was. Yeah. And that's why you didn't have a lot of similarities in the structure and wisdom. But Job was like 2,000 years before Christ. So, I mean, if there were any songs in written form, they would have been maybe Moses. But yeah. nothing, nothing compared to the 150 that eventually. But it would be yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's why in some cases, I don't know, those of you who may have gone and read the book, it's, it's not an easy read, like a read, you know, you have to sort of sit and take it in, in, in bites and pieces, and I think it's for that very reason. Ecclesiastes, yeah. Those are all considered mm -hmm. the poetic books as opposed to like historical books. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, good question. Anybody else? Okay, so Psalm 32, we'll, we're going to get a taste of penitential and wisdom in, uh, as, as we begin to go through that. Okay, another big one. We were just talking about this actually with Job are lament psalms. There's a lot of those. And uh, they're usually this, this really strong emotional cry. That's what you see in the lament psalms. In many cases, so strong that you just kind of sit back and you just go, are they really saying this to God? Don't they realize you know, who God is over there? They're talking to God like this? And yet we see in the structure of the lament songs that that's, that's, that's all part. Because they, there are these outcries when people are suffering. And so the first thing that the lament psalms tell us is, it's okay to cry out. It's okay to cry out. And in our crying out, in the depths of our emotion, we may in fact say some very hard or difficult things. And we serve a God who understands that that's our nature, that that's how we'll respond. So that's the first aspect of the lament psalms. Okay? Now, there are, in that, there's, there are different steps within the structure. Um, I'll come back to that point, by the way, about you know, crying out. We'll, we'll come back around to that. So one of the components that we see, and they're not in this order, I just gave them numbers just for sake of putting them in the outline, but uh, one is a description of one's pain and affliction or the difficulty. So the lament psalm is always going to say what the problem is. Helpful, isn't it? You know, just, you don't say, well, this guy just whining or what, you know? No. You know, it's usually laid out there pretty good what's going on, whether somebody's being oppressed or, you know, there's a very difficult situation. So you have a good description. You have a direct statement to God, sometimes asking for help, but others, others are total accusations. And you'll see when you go, and I'm just encouraging you to go, because one of the assignments tonight, I don't give homework per se, but just encourage you to go, go find a psalm and read it between now and next week and kind of see, you know, see what it is. And if you happen to have a study Bible or a Bible that has the reference, then you can, you can if you're interested in a lament psalm, you go, go look one of those up. Um, and I, we actually have an example here, we'll see. But in any case, so sometimes they're just accusations. 
And again, sometimes the way we picture God, the idea that out of your place of hurt, you can accuse God, not just accuse Him, you accuse Him of neglecting you. Or, you know, forgetting you're here. Hey, did you forget I'm on the earth here? What's going on? I've been praying about this situation. What are you doing? It's been a week. <laughs> Two days. Right? Of course, we see in some of these biblical characters who waited years and years. I can't even get my mind around that. So I won't even go there. But, you know, most of us a few days or a week and we don't get a sense of an answer from God about something. We're gnashing our teeth. So, there's a direct statement to God in the Lament Psalm. Uh, a detailed description of the people or things that, be, that are oppressing the psalmist or God's people. So again, they're pretty complete. You very, most of the Lament Psalms you'll see will tell you pretty specifically what, what the bad thing is that the person is facing. So again, you get a context for what is causing this person to cry out or scream out and even actually accuse God. What, what's causing that? And it's not, I guarantee you, it's not like I got a headache today or I had a bad day at work. Okay? Most of the times when you look at the Lament Psalms, there's something very heavy spiritually that's going on. There's some major oppression or, or problems. And the fourth is a, a, a declaration, and this is important. This is very important. A declaration of one's ultimate trust in God. So, think about that for a moment. You have this accusation, but it doesn't end at accusation. I'm going to accuse you because this is how I'm feeling, and I'm feeling this way because this is what's happening to me right now, just in case you forgot or you haven't been watching. But you know what? I still trust that, you know, even maybe it's just right now when I finally yell out at you that you'll, you'll finally hear me, and, and I trust that you'll do something. Okay? A declaration. Now, one of the other things that you see in some of these psalms, and they are in some, some guides and some places, sort of a separate or, or even a subcategory or separate category, you'll actually see the psalmist ask God to just like, you know, smoke these guys. So it goes beyond even just, God, you know, these people are oppressing me or this situation is really bad. You know, you'll see in certain of the lament psalms, the psalmist actually say, you know what? Just get this guy. So, so that's an imprecatory song. Exactly. Um, it, now, would you say that's a, a biblical take? I mean, how do, you, how do you balance that out with the New Testament turn the other cheek? Well, I think, I think it's, it, at least in, in what I have seen, it's a, it's a reflection of our nature so, again, we're not, and, and I've, never, I've not seen any imprecatory psalms where we're asking God to, you know, just nuke somebody, and then it's, that's it, just nuke them, and that's it, because I want revenge, and, you know, but it's an expression of how we humanly process the oppression. Yeah. Yeah. 
We, so, so it is another form of expression, if you will, that well, God... It's huh? It's yeah, That's right. It's honesty. That's correct. But again, even, even the imprecatory psalm is not detached from the ultimate reliance, statement of reliance on God. Okay? I want you to just nuke these guys, but, but, you know, your will be done, or I know that you know when and how and so on to deal with them. And I might even make some statements, as we saw in that one psalm, you know, God just laughs at them. I mean, you know. So there'll be statements like that in, in one of these types of psalms. I think, I think cause reading imprecatory psalms, you know, is like, I try to get my head around it. And I think it's, it's uh, I think something was revealed in the Newer Testament that they didn't really have, and that's that we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. And it's like John, you know, saying, Jesus, call down fire from heaven, let's just wipe this place. Right. They didn't understand that it's not really, God is for people. He's not against anyone, person-wise, he loves everyone. And that, that what we have in the New, Newer Testament understanding is that our battle is really in the spirit. Mm -hmm. And that what people do that drives us mad is really spirit-driven, not people-driven. And so our, our, you know, our calling down fire from heaven shouldn't be against a person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there, there is something about the expression of the emotion that is healthy. Because what, at least what it's doing is it's asking God to do something, as opposed to us taking our matters into our own hands. So even that is, is at least a step away from something that could be, that could be very destructive. I had a situation... Um, recently where um, we, uh, I do consulting work, we lost a client. And part of the reason we lost a client is there was a, a, a guy who does, is in our field of work, another fellow consultant, not in our area, but who, you know, got in there on a different, different type of a contract and then, and basically is, is the way I like to say, it, just was talking in the ear of, of the people at our client and was telling them all kinds of things and, and you know, when I saw the sort of a, a compilation of, of accusations against us that were all unfounded and all had very, there were very valid reasons why we had done everything and we were able to document that. But I felt that way. I, you know, I, I thought, you know what, this is completely unethical. You know, I want to report him to the, to the board. You know, I want to I do these things, you know, and, and I, oh, I was just furious. I was just absolutely furious. And, you know, it was right about the time that I was already thinking about the Psalms that had been sort of reading there. And that was actually a, a great blessing to, to just step back and say, first of all, I'm not going to do anything. That was, at least, that was a major step for me, not reporting him to the board or writing a letter that personally attacked him back or, you know, kind of taking the high road with the client. And, uh, uh, and then, you know, eventually getting to a point of saying, well, you know, Lord, what, you know, can you do something here? You know, and, and I didn't expect that the situation was going to change, but I was really more, I got to a place where I just said, do something with my heart so I can get on about you know, the work I need to do because I'm so bogged down emotionally in this situation that it's going to cost my other clients, it's going to cost me, it's going to cost my family because I, I just was obsessing over this thing for a period of about maybe a couple of weeks. And so... You know, the Psalms are real. 
The Psalms are real, you know, when you reflect on that kind of a thing. So right off what it did is it stopped me from getting into trouble. I mean, what, what, what would it have come, you know, what good would it have come for me to write to the board with a formal complaint? You know, I mean, maybe they would have done something, but no one's served by that. You know, so that's a kind of a practical example of, of what we're talking about. Other questions on that? No? Okay. Um, let's, let's see, what are we going to do here? Let's take, a, let's take about a 10-minute break, and then we'll come back and read the psalm, the, the lament psalm that, uh, that I have for us to take a look at. Okay? About 10 minutes. And as I said, there's water and coffee tea. over here. Tea. Decaf.